0: Hey Jim, this is Tracy Van Uventer, and I'm so glad to see you today. Uh,
1: same Tracy, how are you? The Jim Martin here. <laughs>
0: All right, here we are with the Little Things First podcast, and Jim, who do we have today?
1: Okay, so we're going to be talking to somebody I met on Twitter. You know, I've been big into these Twitter chats I lately. I need to catch up with you. Yeah, so Amy Illingworth, and now I I don't know if I'm saying her name correctly, because sometimes you meet people on Twitter or books, right. and they're a different kind of celebrity, because you don't know how to say their name. So let's ask <laughs> her exactly how to say her name. But uh, Amy Illingworth is a, she's been a principal, I believe she's at the district office now now and has written a book called The Coaching Adventure which is great a great book. So let's we're going to talk to her about all uh, of that.
0: Excellent. Let's give her a call. Oh.
1: Hello? Hello, is this Amy? <laughs> this is. Yeah. Hi is Amy. Yeah, how are you?
2: Hi, I'm great, thanks. How are you?
1: <laughs> great. Sorry we're a little late.
2: That's okay, no problem. It's still early Saturday morning for me.
0: Excellent. So, Amy, this is Tracy Vandy-Venter, and we want to know how to say your last name.
2: (laughs) Illingworth. 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 Okay.
1: <laughs> I think I said it correctly.
2: <laughs> some people do but most people don't, so no worries. <laughs> so yeah. will
1: you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um we um are thrilled to be able to talk to you. I read your book this week and um learned a lot. I'm actually an instructional coach and Tracy is a principal, so this is kind of a perfect combination here and Wonderful. uh we're we're wanting to learn some of the little things that we can do to Support instructional coaching in our buildings. So, but first, we want to know about you.
2: Sure. So, th- first, thank you so much for having me. I look forward to getting to know you both as well, and I appreciate your support of the book. And I can talk about this stuff forever. So, very <laughs> exciting. <laughs> um, first, you'll see I speak very fast because I'm originally from New Jersey.
1: So, <laughs> That's fine. Um,
2: I was born and raised in New Jersey, and I, then I went to college in Virginia. And I I always share this part of my story because it's interesting. In Virginia, and I went to James Madison University, you couldn't major in education. And I knew my whole childhood I wanted to be a teacher. And so I had to pick something else as a major because education was a minor. And um, Spanish was the only class I liked in school, so I majored in Spanish, (laughs) and I minored in middle education. And so when I graduated college in Virginia, I was credentialed to teach Spanish K-12 and middle grades, fourth to eighth grade, all subjects, which nowadays horrifies me. The thought that I would teach eighth grade math is really bad (laughs) for children.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, just uh, kudos to you for even taking that middle level, right? It's a unique person that focuses on that middle ground.
2: It is. And when I started, fourth grade was my dream. I wanted that upper elementary. I loved it. And my first job was, of course, eighth grade because you take what job you get. Right. And I, I ended up loving middle school. And you do have to love that age group and you have to be a quirky person to teach middle school. <laughs> so that's what I did getting out of college and moving here to California. I was a middle school Spanish, English history teacher. I did. I was able to use that credential pretty well, even transferring into California. Um, but pretty early on in my teaching here, I had an amazing principal who saw leadership and, and skills in me that I didn't even see in my young self, and she she helped me become what was in our district. It was called a peer coach staff developer position. So I really got to be a coach. I was still part-time teaching when I started, so I was still a teacher, but I was coaching the other teachers in our, on our staff, and she really helped me see that I could do this job and then realize how powerful it was to step out of my own classroom and to get into other classrooms and see what was going on and to begin to support my peers. And that's, so that early on is what, what sparked my love of coaching. And then, of course, my career, she encouraged me also to get my administrative credential. And so after my coaching time, I became a vice principal. And I did all that at the middle and high school level. And then I eventually was ready to be a principal. And the first opportunity I had was in an elementary school, which I hadn't been to in many years. But I became an elementary principal and then realized real quickly, oh, I'm by myself. Now I'm the coach and the principal and everything else you do (laughs) as an elementary (laughs) principal. (laughs) And... Well, that was was
0: going to be one of my questions, Amy, in your district, what is the model that you have? So where I'm at, we actually have a full-time coach at our elementary school and junior high and high school. So as an admin, uh, some schools have assistants depending on their size, but Mm -hmm. uh, every one of our schools has a full-time instructional coach. How is it in your district? So that is phenomenal, and
2: I praise your district. I, I have tra- I have moved a number of districts, and I'm six months into my new role as an assistant superintendent. And in my current district, we do not have a coach at every school. We have teachers on special assignments who work out of my office who are spread out across our schools, and they are s- supporting all content areas with a big focus on our math and science initiatives and technology so it's not a one-to-one per school focus, but in some of my previous roles, I, uh, when I was a director of ed services in another small elementary district, we did have a coach at every school. And so I was able to be the district support who connected those coaches and those principals together and, and helped do that professional development work. And I will tell you, it is so hard when you don't have a one-on-one coach at every school, because mm-hmm. again, like you said, If you're the principal, and I know we'll talk about this, it is really hard to be an instructional leader principal who can coach and also do all the other stuff you have to do as a principal. I believe it's possible, but it's challenging, no doubt about
0: it. Jim, what's it like in your district? I know where we were together, we used to have coaches that would come and go because they were really content specific. So they might be assigned to us one week and then off one week, um, which had some you know, benefits and some challenges. But what about where you're at, Jim? Because you're a coach.
1: Yeah, every Title One mm-hmm. school in our district has a, an instructional coach and a K-3 reading coach. They have um, two coaches then. Yeah. Oh, and wow. actually our school has four coaches because the principal has prioritized it. Wow. So wow. we have a climate and culture coach and we have a, a lowest 25% a coach that pays attention to the lowest 25% in the building. So, yeah, certainly big commitment where I am. Absolutely.
2: Wow. That's impressive.
1: Yeah. So what made you write a a book about coaching?
2: So because my whole career really became centered around coaching, you know, before I knew that's what I was going to focus on, that has been my career. And so I've always, I've blogged about coaching. I've talked about coaching and it was over the last, you know 5 to 7 years i was getting my doctorate degree and i focused on instructional leadership and and at the time i had just transitioned out of principal into district leadership and i saw exactly what we're talking about it is so hard to be a principal and do this work alone with no coach on your campus and to just there's just so much on a principal's plate so i realized how important it was to help principals prioritize if they're the only person and to support teachers who could be peer coaches to one another whether it's a formal role or not and i just felt like i was saying the same thing over and over again at- I was supporting people, and it was time to put it down and try to support more people and building up their coaching skills.
1: Excellent! I really enjoyed reading all of the information that you p- packed into that book. I he mean, took your adventure. You. Yes, I took the adventure. I love the way you styled it like you know a choose-your own adventure. That was really cool. So
2: thank you, <laughs> thank you. That was the fun part about it for sure.
1: Yes, I would encourage people to check it out.
0: So Amy, as you're thinking about the work that coaches do, we all agree, boy, they they are so essential, right, in helping our yep. schools be their best. Mm-hmm. I'm curious in all the different ways that you've supported coaching, either by being a coach or maybe supervisor, et cetera. What do you think are some of the little things that coaching does, coaching impacts a building or the coach person itself does to, to really make a difference for schools?
2: Hmm. Well, I think it has to be the right person for the job, first and foremost. And of course, you have to build those trusting relationships so that teachers want to work with a coach and want to allow the coach to have an impact on, on teaching and learning in a school. But once you have those things in place, I think a coach can help the, a school community or a district community get on the same page with common language. Because I find in education, we use a lot of educationese, and yeah. I can say something like engagement, student engagement. But I find that if we haven't have really been in a classroom together and talked about what my definition and your definition of student engagement is. We are not saying the same thing when we say those words. So I think a coach really can help a community get together on their common language. Right? And I think that's important to then go deeper with the work. I think a coach can also help bring a school that maybe has pockets of goodness and really celebrate highlight those and celebrate them so that those pockets become more standardized and and cohesive across the system because we often will have one second grade class doing something amazing for kids, but the classroom right next door, the kids don't get the same experiences. Mm-hmm. So I, I think a coach, when they're able to get in and out of rooms and support what's going well in individual rooms, you can support teachers at their point of strength, but you can also bring in new ideas that are being successfully done with other students in that building.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I really... uh I really like how you started that by saying, you know, right person for the job, because I don't think everyone is able to be a good coach. I think it takes a unique person who's able to find that just right uh, connection with people. So you're pushing without having them close down on you right?
2: Absolutely. And I've seen and I've worked with people who just were amazing teachers who couldn't step into this role successfully. Mm-hmm. And I've seen people who pushed too hard too fast and didn't build the trust in the relationship. And there's so many ways that coaching is thought, of, thought negatively because of those people and those experiences. So I know many teachers who will put up their hands, close the door and say, no, I don't need a coach. I don't want to coach. And it's because they haven't seen a positive example. They've only seen a negative one.
1: Mm-hmm. I also liked the way you talked about finding those pockets of excellence, because sometimes coaching is thought to be about teachers who aren't doing it well. And Mm -hmm. I love that you recommended, you know, finding those places where things are going really well and really building on that.
2: Absolutely. And I learned that, you know, the hard way, again, going in as a young coach thinking I got to fix everybody and then realizing, wait, I didn't even know they were good at something I wasn't good at or good at something I didn't know kids needed. And so I, I have really reframed my leadership around strength based first, That starting to get to know people by what they are doing well and what they believe their strengths are first and foremost.
0: If you don't mind, I want to go down that path just a little. I was thinking about a school that I was working at, and I was trying to celebrate some of the good things that were going on. And, um, I, in fact, I pulled uh, some data, and I took off the teacher names because the teachers didn't want me to have their names on there. And I mm-hmm. was using it as a way to say, look at some of the good things that are going on in our building. How How do you find... Uh, you're able to let people step in the limelight. You know, teachers are (laughs) modest and shy (laughs) and I don't want to stand out. Yeah.
2: Exactly. I think I agree with you. I think taking names off data is a safe place to start so you can honor that good things are happening with our students here without the pressure of pointing at somebody for good or bad data. I also think, I think you have to get to know your teachers because I do know there are some people who love praise, love acknowledgement and don't get enough of it. Mm -hmm. And so they will step into that limelight happily and it's never enough for them. But I also know some people prefer to see just a picture from their classroom with, hey, this was going well in in Tracy's room today. I appreciate this. Other people appreciate a personal note that you just share with them, not with the staff. So I do think it's about getting to know your staff. I also, also think that once you are in a culture where you can begin to share, this is one of the benefits I find with social media, that if you have a school hashtag or a district hashtag, that's a place where you can tell your story. And we often hear, you know, if we don't tell our own story, the news is going to tell a story that's not the one we want told for <laughs> right. us, especially if you look at test scores or right. certain problems in right. education. So I feel like it's another way to encourage teachers to allow us to share the good things going on in their rooms through social media is by saying, listen, people don't know this amazing work your kids are doing, or you've done so much in your classroom. I want to be able to let the community know what is going on in this room and in our school. And I think having that personal conversation with people before you share helps open them up a little more. And some get more embarrassed. It takes a little longer to get them comfortable. But I think most people want to be praised and they they come around to the praise much easier than and the tougher feedback
1: for sure yeah, yeah. so what uh, you mentioned earlier the balance between being an evaluator and an instructional coach for principals that want well i think all principals should want to <laughs> be an instructional leader uh but how how have you seen that successfully work so that a principal is not only evaluating but instructionally coaching and supporting teachers mm-hmm. in getting better
2: Absolutely. Well, I do want to acknowledge it is a challenge. Like I said, again, I was an elementary principal, so my secretary and my custodian were my right hands, and (laughs) there wasn't really anybody else for a while. I did have a coach at one point, but again, at my district, it wasn't a guarantee every year. So I want to acknowledge that a principal, um, it it is a challenging job no matter what. I've also supported high school principals who have four assistant principals under them and still find it hard to find the instructional leadership role. So I, I think part of it is it's scheduling is one of the biggest challenge I see because we're all pulled pulled in a million directions every day and you could spend eight hours a day in your office doing the paperwork that's required of the job there's no doubt you could do that but if you prioritize that you need to be in classrooms when kids are present you need to be with teachers when they're with each other working you find a way to manage your schedule and I think the way you manage schedules is by first having an assistant who understands what you want to do with your schedule and that they become your time blocker your time champion. They support your schedule and they can also then communicate when people are demanding of your time. They have, I used to give scripts for my secretaries to share that, that would say to parents, why can't I see the principal right now? My secretary <laughs> would learn the script of, the principal prioritizes teaching and learning and she spends every morning in classrooms. I can schedule you an appointment between 1 and 4 p.m. Or, you know, That's awesome. A script. yeah. I would, I've literally given my staff scripts when they didn't feel comfortable with people, especially if people are going to yell at you. It's never fun. Right. But I, I think uh, empowering the people around you to have that message helps. And then I think you also have to be the one to communicate that directly. I would put notes in my parent newsletters saying saying exactly that. When I was an elementary principal, I would say, listen, it is important to me to hear from the community, but I need you to know I am with your kids. And so I block out every morning as my priority, priority to be in rooms. And I save my afternoons for parent meetings meetings and all the other things I do. And so I just made that clear to my community and it didn't become a problem. And then my secretary would know what the emergency was, when to text me or radio me or however they got in contact with me. Sure. So I do, I do think that there are ways by asking for help and that's hard for many of us, but when you ask for help from the people around you, it can be done. And I, I know in, in middle schools and high schools, I've worked with people when you have a team of administrators one time when I was a vice principal, we would sit down every Friday afternoon and we would pull out a schedule for next week. And we would each say what period of the day we were going to cover the office so that other people could get out of the office and go mm-hmm. do classroom observations. And because again, middle school VP, my whole life was discipline and I could have sat in that office all day. doing yeah. student discipline. But I also, that was not my passion. And so I, I made a point to schedule these meetings and say, you guys, I can't sit in this office all day. I have to visit rooms and I have to do my formal observations and the right. evaluation side. Right. So we just made sure to cover each other and that there ensure there was always some, someone in the office because obviously there are emergencies and things that happen, but also ensure that it was a priority for each of us to get out of the office and to be out on the campus and in classrooms where uh, we wanted to be. Did you
1: did you ever have any teachers who were like, wait a minute, you know, like <laughs> you're you're in my classroom, you're giving me feedback and I'm scared because, you know, it it's not all positive. Because uh, pretty yeah, much I've- Every place
2: I've ever been, that's the first reaction. It's that
1: balance between evaluator. It's hard for them to see any kind of feedback coming from the administrator as anything other than evaluatory sometimes. Exactly.
2: And that was a big transition for me when I became a principal because I moved to a new district. I was new to the school, new to the district, new to elementary again. And I I just did what I had always been doing as a coach and a VP. I went into rooms and I would drop little notes of feedback. But I also was taking notes out with me, and one, you know, I learned the hard way in the district I had moved into. Administrators were not allowed to write notes in a classroom and take them out of the room unless it was a formal evaluation. And I was going to write up, so the teachers got so paranoid anytime I wrote anything. So I had to reshift my entire process and stop and just talk to them and explain what my goal was and what I was trying to do. And and it was a great learning experience for us, but it was hard because they. It took me even longer to build trust when I had broken trust without even realizing it so yeah. early on. So right. that's it is interesting. Important. I do like mm-hmm. that
1: idea, though, of just like, you know, I'm not going to take anything with me. So I'm just, you know, leaving all of my notes here for you. In fact, I try to do that as a coach when I'm in the classroom. I, If I take any notes, I copy those notes for the teacher and say, like, I want you to be able to see what I wrote down so that you don't wonder, you know, am I keeping this secret stash of hidden information?
2: <laughs> right. And that's, I mean, that people do think that they think a coach can be evaluative or a principal, same thing. So it was about being more transparent with what I was writing and really I was just trying to get to know people and get to know kids and I was certainly not writing anything negative about people but when you're a brand new person in a job you have to know you have to learn a lot of things quickly and so for me writing things down helps but I had to learn a different way to reflect and write in a way that didn't cause fear in my teachers.
1: Right.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow, you know but what I I'm just going to kind of capture for a minute two things you've said that I think are important for us to look at when we're talking about little things that make a difference. One is you said schedule it. Schedule it, mm-hmm. get it in the book, clear it out, block it off so that you're going to get out there and be able to help teachers get feedback from you in whatever format, but that they uh, know you're there visiting and you know what's going on in their classroom. But the second thing, too, is really how important it is for teachers that they get that feedback and that they know that... Um, either with Jim making a copy of his notes, or in my case, I just email them all the stuff I just finished typing so that it's in their email box as I walk out. Or in your case, I guess you had some limitations that you just actually kept it all in your brain, uh, but that you shared with them verbally right later. But the key there, a little thing is making sure teachers know what you're thinking and, and what you're noticing. That is huge.
2: I think that's another piece where an administrator can go from an evaluator to a coach in their teacher's mind is by being transparent about your feedback right away. Don't save it and write something formal that becomes scary later on. Mm -hmm. Have the face-to-face. And I do always tell people face-to-face conversation is always the best way. That is true coaching is that face-to-face. When that's impossible because you're a principal in time, an email, a write-up of some sort is is important because you're still acknowledging you were in the room and getting them something sooner rather than later is great. So if you know you can't see them for a week face-to-face, but you can email them or I've used Google Forms to to do an automatic email response to people as well. I mean, there's a lot of ways you can get feedback to teachers, but I always put the caveat on that face-to-face should be your priority and then when time doesn't allow for it something in writing sooner rather than later helps people acknowledge that you were in their room and keeps them from wondering, what was she thinking? What, what did I do wrong? Because sure. I think that's where that's where our minds go first. Even if that's yeah. not what the coach is thinking, that's what the teacher's thinking. I know I thought like that.
0: So if you were scheduling your you know classroom observation cycle, if you will, it looks like you're doing that all in the morning. Did you also try to meet with teachers in that morning time? Or did you, you know, find other times? It, it,
2: it again every school has its rhythm it depends i found i found for my teachers in that school, especially as I was building relationships, they wanted to hear from me so quickly. So I also made it a point to be out during recess and lunch, and I was trying to get to know kids during that time, but I would also swing by classrooms or the mm-hmm. lounge and just say, hey, I enjoyed your room today, and I would just try to do a quick face-to-face. Mm-hmm. It wasn't even coaching in those first couple months. It was building, building rapport, but I did as quickly as possible do that face-to-face acknowledgement when I could. Um, but then, yes, my teachers, amazingly, when I was a principal, my teachers just worked so many. Long hours; they were always at school, so I didn't have as much of a problem finding time to meet with mm-hmm. them face to face. It mm-hmm. was easier there than in some other jobs. You know, secondary, I've always found it harder because everybody's prep is different and everybody's yeah. scheduled are on and off campus. It's that's where I find people struggle even more to find the face to face time. Is in a secondary school, there's just yeah. more of everything to be done.
0: Yeah, and as you talk about it, it, reminds me. I think I've had the most success with that cycle if I schedule the feedback in my calendar. Because Mm -hmm. then no matter what, I'm going to actually do the observation because I have
2: the feedback time set up. Absolutely. And I think we do that naturally with the formal evaluation process. So why not do that for coaching? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? it's there, you guys. You're going to be scheduling things. It is just important to schedule time to be in rooms as it is to schedule time to talk to the teachers. Yeah. Sometimes that's also going into a PLC or a grade level meeting. You know, there's a, Michael Fullen wrote this great book called The Principal that talks about this one-on-one feedback is never going to move a school as quickly as grade level team feedback because really when I say something to one second grade teacher, I hope that it really impacts the whole second grade team. So if I can get into the second grade team's meeting time and talk to all of them, I can impacts you know more students at a time, more teachers at a time than that running around one to
0: one.
1: Yeah yes, that, that's a really great point. Um, have you had an opportunity to work as a principal with a instructional coach? I have. I was a coach who had a principal supporting
2: me, and I've been a principal who had a coach with me as well.
1: Okay, so talk a little bit about the rela- that relationship, because that's what I'm curious about. I've seen some principal-coach relationships go awry, and um, I'm just wondering, you know, sometimes coaches feel some pressure to share some things with principals who may not understand what some of that confidentiality needs to be. And so just Absolutely. how do you maintain a positive relationship between coach and principal?
2: That's huge. And I will tell you, I've also had the job at the district level supporting all the coaches and helping clarify that relationship. And I do think that is an important piece is having a clear job description and a clear expectation for what the work is so that both the principal and the coach know what is and is not part of their role. Because again, teachers will think that they are in cahoots to evaluate everybody out of their job or you know, the negative thoughts can take the coach down that us versus them pathway that we don't want anyone to be on. Um, So I I think it's important to clarify for everyone what the role is. I do think it's important for a coach and a principal to to meet regularly, but I I think it's important to clarify for the public what those meetings are, because again, if they look like closed door meetings, they're talking about us, Mm -hmm. teachers will have a harder time trusting the coach. So, and I do think there is a fine line on what should be shared and what should not be shared. And so, and I, I think that part of it is on a case by case basis with how much trust there is between a coach and a principal. But if you are a new to a relationship, I think talking in generalities is always better than talking about specifics. So, I may say as the coach, I may tell my principal. I'm working with the second grade team this week. There's been some requests to focus on student engagement. So that's what I'm working on if you need to know. But I'm not going to say that Jim is having a lot of problems and I'm really supporting him. I, I don't need the principal to know that. Um, I also think it's valuable for a coach to have a calendar that they keep that's public for everyone to see that, you know, teachers can sign up to invite them into rooms and that the principal can see the calendar. So I know that you're in Jim's room, but you're not reporting back to me the specifics of your conversations with Jim. And I can still hear in general, oh, student engagement is a focus over here. I'm in math over here. You know, we can really talk about the general content, but not individual conversations I'm having with teachers.
1: Yes, Perfect. I think that's really valuable because um, it's just a a balance between, um, you know, having a confidential relationship, being able to build that trust with teachers and being able to share enough with the principal that Mm -hmm. the principal feels like they know what's going on and the principal's somewhat setting the direction, right, for where Mm -hmm. the school is going to go. And so, yeah, it's just a, a very fine balancing act, I find.
2: It is. But you know, as a coach, if you break that confidentiality, it takes so long to build back trust with the teacher. So mm-hmm. it's not worth I mean, it's, it's A, it's not worth it. B, in my mind, yeah. it's not the right thing to do. Right. And C, principals should also be working on building their own relationships. I truly believe a principal should be able to have a totally confidential coaching relationship with the teacher that feels non-evaluative to them as well. That's, you know, half of my messaging. But if you're lucky enough to have a coach and a principal, you want them to be coaching separately for different purposes and with different relationships and and to maintain that confidentiality. Yeah.
1: What about coaches and principals going into a room together? Is that something that should ever happen? You know, like to maybe, uh, let's say the principal wants to learn more about reading and is like, you know, teach me some things as we walk through the school. I mean, is that appropriate? (laughs) Does that kind of cross some boundaries? I think
2: it depends on the culture of the school that you're in. I I, be, I believe there's incredible value to it, but I think the teacher whose room you're going into needs to understand what the purpose is very clearly. And again, that fear of what are you writing down can be an issue for some people. Um, I, I think one way to get around some of the fear and the lack of trust is to do a formal process like instructional rounds or learning walks. And I think teachers and parents and students, I think all people in the system can be involved and those kind of things to make the, the process public. And that way you understand that any learning walk or instruction around I've ever done, we are not even talking about really the individual teacher. We in many cases I set up structures where you don't even know the teacher's name. We're in room A, then room B, and we're talking about room A and room B in such a public way about the instruction and the teaching and learning we're observing. It's not about the people at all. So I think that's one way that a coach and a principal can learn together. I think what the example you gave is great. If a principal has content area coaches who know more than them, I think it's really powerful to be honest and say, listen, guys, I'm going to do a walkthrough this week with the reading coach because I'm trying to understand reading better. So she's going to teach me or he's going to whisper coach to me. And we're happy to share with you what we talk about, but this is for my learning. I think it's great to be public about that too.
1: Nice.
0: You know, there's one time where I actually would specifically bring in the coach. So if I knew that the conversation I was going to have with a teacher was going to be difficult. um, Mm -hmm. And if the, teacher's personality was such that it might be hard information for them to receive, Mm
1: -hmm. I
0: would ask the coach to sit with side-by-side with the teacher, and I'd let Mm -hmm. the teacher know ahead of time, I've asked her to come and be your advocate and to help you as you make a plan, right? Mm
1: -hmm. And then
0: it was sort of like a second set of ears hearing um, some of the information, and and it was intended to be so that there was an ally beside the teacher and i don't know if that's a great model but there were times when that was really helpful because when i walked out of the room then the teacher had someone who had who who was there who they considered to be a support who they could talk to cuz they just heard the same message and sometimes teachers don't hear everything you say cuz they're freaking out inside Absolutely.
2: I think depending again on the system and the relationship and letting the teacher know in advance, I think that can be powerful. My brain goes red flags on that because I'm in California and we have some pretty heavy duty collective bargaining agreements Mm -hmm. and union situations where you would invite a union rep before you would invite a coach, especially because the coach and the unions have, you know, they're always Mm -hmm. worried they're too Mm -hmm. evaluative. So again, in the right context and with the right communication Mm -hmm. up front, as long as the teacher's fine with that, I think that's great. Mm -hmm. But yeah, and I I also found... It again, because of our collective bargaining, if I know I'm going down the evaluative path and it's going to be negative with the teacher, you bring the union rep in here in our situation. But one of the supports I offer is some direct work with coach. And then I might bring the coach in and sa- and have the teacher say, here's what I want to work on. Can you help me? Yeah. And the teacher then articulates what they know they need help with. Yeah. And, um, and often
0: it was not. Quite to the stage where it was that like we've moved into the evaluative negative. path, right? Um, but yeah, sometimes that negative feedback or that you know constructive criticism can be really hard for people. So trying to, that was that was the way I used it. Yeah,
2: absolutely. And I, I think you're right. We don't often hear the minute I feel like I'm in trouble or anything's mm-hmm. bad, I shut down, and you know mm-hmm. I'm in fight or flight mode in my brain, yeah. And I'm not hearing the words, yep. even if you're trying to give great feedback, I'm not hearing it. Yeah,
1: yeah. What do you see as the best model of coaching? Because I know there's a ton of stuff out there about, um, you know, only sticking to questions, letting the teacher come up with um, ideas for how they want to improve. Um, there's you know approaches that are about. Side by side kind of coaching where you're in Mm -hmm. the classroom and you're chiming in as the lesson goes, maybe even whispering to the teacher, like, try this or modeling some things in the moment. What's What do you see as the best model?
2: Honestly, I I see it as a hybrid of all those things and more. I think that um, we often use that gradual release of responsibility. So maybe I start with modeling something for you. And and I outline an entire coaching cycle as one element where we, the teacher and I agree on something that the teacher wants to work on. And I think that's the most important piece first. The teacher has to acknowledge, I want to work on this. I want to get better at this for my students. Not you coming in and telling me to do something, but we are going to partner on this new thing for me. And so maybe as a Coach, I model something the first day or two and the teacher's observing me, but then we want to switch that transition. So we're doing some co-teaching together. And that would be more of that, you know, side by side whispering or I'm chiming in, then you're chiming in. And then by the end of our gradual release, however long that cycle is, the teacher is taking on the new thing and I'm observing to give feedback. And then I step out of the room give the teacher time to really try on the new thing. And a piece of the cycle that I highlight that I think people often skip is after a couple of days, a week, whatever, as the coach, I go back in again looking for that thing that we focused on to see if it stuck. Because if it didn't stick, what was the point of the coaching cycle? You're absolutely right. right.
0: That's a big piece that often gets overlooked. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah,
1: sometimes we pay a little bit too much attention to the event and forget that the whole idea is that the teacher is able to implement it long term.
2: Yeah. Right. I mean, we want a strategy that's going to impact student learning not just tomorrow, right, but, mm-hmm. but over time. Mm-hmm. Becomes but, part and of the enjoy- process. Absolutely. And then in terms of, you know, you mentioned questioning, I I you know, I have a whole chapter on questioning as well. I think it's so important that the, the conversation, a debrief, a coaching conversation is driven by the teacher. They should be doing most of the talking, but there is a time when a coach steps in and is directive. So I think you start mm-hmm. with those open-ended reflective questions and you get them to get themselves as far as they can. But sometimes we don't know what we don't know. And that's yeah. where a coach comes in. You come in and you push their thinking a little more. You model, you share an article, you... Ask them to consider something specific so you do get more directive after you've given them as much time to lead themselves there and reflect and and get to a good place.
0: Yeah, absolutely, depending on their own skills. Hey, uh, we often end with the question of you taking a trip on a time machine, Mm -hmm, and I'm mm -hmm. curious that if you could go back in time and talk to your younger self about all the things that you have learned, about the little things that make a big difference, what would you tell your younger self now?
2: I think one of the phrases that is, is I, I, am even rolling my own eyes that I'm going to say this, but I'm going to say it. Um, You have to go slow to go fast. And I, you know, again, because I'm from New Jersey, I go fast with everything all the time (laughs) by nature and California has slowed me down a little. I've been here 20 years, but I'm still too fast for myself sometimes. And I think that my younger self wanted to, again, run in there and fix things that I thought were wrong. And Part of it has just been my age and my ego calming down to realize, oh, I don't have all the answers. I want to work with people to help them be their best selves. And to do that, you have to take time to build a real relationship. And that is slow and hard at first, but the trust that you build pays dividends in the long run.
0: I love that. I love that because relationships really are kind of a cornerstone of of how we really do our best work.
2: A hundred percent. Yep. And I think I did not see the importance of that in my younger years for sure.
0: Excellent. Well, thank you so much for taking time to visit with us today.
2: Thank you so much. I appreciate it.
1: Yeah. And uh, we would encourage everybody to go out and buy your book, Coaching Adventure, and um, read up, whether they be a teacher, a principal, a coach, because you even talk a lot about how teacher leaders can um, take on more of an instructional coaching role. So really valuable yeah. stuff. Thank you. Coaching Absolutely. Adventure.
2: The Coach Adventure, yeah. Anybody on social media, the hashtag is hashtag CoachADV for adventure. So I love to hear from people reading the book.
0: Okay, one more time. Hashtag CoachADV.
2: Yep, ADV for adventure.
0: Okay, excellent. Thank you so much and have a fantastic day, Amy. Thank you, Jim
2: and Tracy. You too. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye.